Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Bryce Hales, and I'm the pastor here at uh, Resurrection OC, and uh, it's great to have you with us this morning. If you have a Bible, would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2? And uh, Ephesians chapter 2, we're con- uh, continuing our series in the book of Ephesians called We Are Family. And this morning, we are looking at the passage uh, that we're taking the series title from. And the question that I want to ask you uh, this morning is this. What is your role in the family? What is your role in the family? If you would um, turn with me to Ephesians 2 and uh, stand with me as we read God's word this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Paul says this, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? God, we need to hear your word this morning. God, we need to hear good news this morning. And uh, this passage, I think, has the potential to stun us if we have the ears to hear. But God, we, we can never hear unless you open our ears and open our hearts. So we pray that you would do that. Would you help us to see, to hear? Would you give us the eyes of faith to see Jesus as the one who is more beautiful than we could ever ask or imagine. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, please. (coughs) Disunity, division, conflict, strife. That's what Paul is talking about in this passage. And man, do we ever need to hear it. Um, I don't know if I'm the only one. Did, Did anybody else wake up one morning this week and think, has our world just completely lost? Like, have we just gone crazy? Um, you know, the, the news is just, it's overwhelming. But I remember waking up Monday morning and just had this text 
Um, I, didn't, I didn't know what had happened yet, but the, the news of the shooting in Las Vegas, um, I guess it was Sunday night, right? Um, the worst mass shooting in modern U.S. history. Um, seems like that's becoming a recurring theme, school shootings. Um, we've also experienced in the last several years what, uh, you know, the, the reopening to, to, to many of us, what seems like the reopening of, of just racial tension to many people. It's, it's always been there, but um, we have the memory of the white supremacist rally in Charlottesville you know, just a few months ago. Uh, is our world going completely crazy? There's violence, there is discord, there is conflict, there is division, there is disunity in our world, isn't there? But it's not just out there. Uh, it's in our cities, it's in our schools, it's in our workplaces, it's in our families, and it's in ourselves. I saw a video this week of Tina Fey, you know Tina Fey, the comedian, she's pretty funny, right? She was talking to a um, talk show host, she was talking about her daughter who is three years old. She said, my, um, my three-year-old is a little terror, and I take her to playtime at the library, and they have this dollhouse that is to die for, and she loves this, this dollhouse, but the challenge is how do I get her to leave? And so I give her the countdown. We're leaving in 10 minutes, and we're leaving in five minutes, and okay, it's time to leave now, and it doesn't matter. She is not going to leave. And so she says, I go, and I, I pick up my daughter, and as soon as I pick her up, she begins to, well, this other child swoops in and takes her place. <laughs> and that causes a meltdown, and kid is freaking out and upset and and uh, it's a total meltdown and um, Tina Fey said she gets outside and she sets her daughter down and she says, do you like coming here? And she said, yes. And she said, if you keep acting like this, they're not going to let you come anymore. She looks at her mom and she says, mommy, I just want to hit and kick every people's <laughs> I just want to hurt everybody <laughs> and that's us isn't it that's our problem um, we, we kind of want to be close like in theory we want to be in relationship but we are insecure people and it's hard and we get hurt easily and so we're afraid and we hurt each other and there's disunity in our world. It was just over a year ago that the United Kingdom, Great Britain, voted to leave the European Union after years of doing life together. They said, we don't want to, we don't want to be a part of this anymore. And, um, you know, all these other countries keep getting in trouble. We're tired of bailing them out. We don't want to be responsible for that anymore. So we're leaving. Um, and, you know, that same thing happens in our house all the time. Uh, I walk into a room, a parent walks into a room and say, what happened here? And you just grab the closest kid and you say, you're going to clean this up now. And what's the response? I didn't make this mess. And what do we say? We say, you know what? That's part of what being a family is all about. Um, and you get out of this family way more than you put into it. So you might not have made this mess. But being a family means we bear one another's burdens. And we help each other out. Maybe you didn't make this mess, but you get out a lot out of being a part of this family. And being a family means that we take care of one another. Disunity, loneliness. I keep telling you this. We are more lonely than we have ever been as a species. Um, 
it's an awful thing, isn't it, to feel alone in a world where we were created to be home. But this is who we are. This is our experience. This is our history. This is the history of the world that we live in. There's enmity where there should be cooperation. There is apathy where there should be love. Uh, there is indifference where there should be proactivity. But Ephesians 2 tells us God's solution. Ephesians 2 tells us that in the midst of this, this world that is filled with division and disunity, God breaks in. And when Jesus comes into the world, he breaks into the world to heal our mess. We are divided, we are lonely, we hurt each other, we ignore each other, and Jesus breaks in, breaks in to heal our mess at the point that we most need it. Ephesians 2 tells us the problem to discord and racism and war and violence in our world. Do you want to hear what it is? Are you ready for this? It's the church. Can you believe it? Really the church? Like what, what, are, you, what, are, you, what are you thinking? Um, what can you possibly mean that the church is, are you, when you say the church, do you mean that group of people that gets together in like a meeting room in a dimly lit, lit basement and eats broccoli casserole together? Like, is that what you mean by the church? Uh, do you mean that weekly gathering of ordinary, uh, ordinary people in, in homes and schools and sometimes very grand buildings throughout the world? Uh, do you mean that group of people that, that gets together and does really ordinary things like sing and read this ancient book together and celebrate the sacraments? Is that what you mean by the, Yes, that's what, that's what we mean by the church. Do you mean the church that my parents dragged me to as a kid and the church that I left in college? When you say the church, do you mean that organization that seems at times irrelevant, at times maybe at best has a, has a record that, that is spotty? Is that what you mean? That's the hope? That's the, that's the hope? Or do you mean that organization that has outlets in every town and city and region and country in the world where this morning and every Sunday there are over a million people gathering to worship? What do you mean? Yes, all of it. The church. The church is God's plan, says Paul. Can you believe that this ordinary mess is God's plan to overcome mass shootings and racism and violence and wars in our world and in our schools and PTA meetings and in our families and in our own hearts? The church is God's solution to the division between human beings and other human beings. Listen, I know when I say this that this completely goes against all of our, like our instincts, doesn't it? Uh, there was a study recently that, that said that um, 85% of Americans, when asked, can you be a faithful Christian and never attend church, 85% of Americans said, of course. What does church have to do with it? Uh, this is just between me and God, isn't it? Well, not according to the Bible. Um, there's no, there's no such thing in the Bible of a Christian that has a relationship one-on-one -on -one with God absent a relationship with God's people. So here's the big idea this morning. Uh, here's the thing that I am trying to convince you of. Um, and I know that this is countercultural, but this is, this is the big idea that uh, the more alone you are in your Christianity, the less, intimate, the less intimacy you will experience with God. Or let me say that in a positive way. Your intimacy with God is linked to your intimacy with his people. 
That's what Paul is telling us in this passage. And there's two things he, he tells us to do in this passage. Two things I want to highlight for us this morning. And uh, the first is this, that, um, that if you want to understand what it means to be a part of the family of God, you've got to remember who you were. Uh, that's what he says in verses 11 and 12. He says, therefore, remember that at one time, a time in the past, he's talking about, remember that you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Remember who you are, Paul is saying. Remember that you were alienated from God. You were separated from Christ. You knew nothing of God and his goodness and his grace in your life. Remember that. Because when we forget who we were, we lose the sense of awe and wonder about what God has done in our lives. And when we lose that awe and wonder in our lives, we become cynical, we become complacent, We become ignorant of those who don't yet know who God is. Remember who you were. Remember that you were alienated from God. Um, And Paul says the effect is that, that when you are alienated from God, you are not just alienated from him, but you are also alienated from other people as well. Uh, And then Paul, he gives this case study here where he talks about the relationship, the historic relationship between Jews and Gentiles. And there's all this talk about circumcision, right? And we're probably reading this going like, okay, this must mean something, but um, what what does this have to do with me, (laughs) right? Um, You have to understand here that when Paul, uh, what Paul says, when he says that the Jews referred to the Gentiles, just to be clear, what's a Gentile? A Gentile is somebody who's not Jewish, right? So when the Jews refer to the Gentiles as the uncircumcision, or the uncircumcised, that is a racial slur that is equivalent to the N-word. They're saying these unwashed masses are gross. Um, They are not. The, The history is this, that the Jews were God's chosen people. And you have to go back all the way to Genesis 12, where God shows up and speaks to Abraham and says, Abraham, you, I'm going to choose you, and your descendants are going to be my chosen people. But what God says to Abraham in Genesis 12, all the way at the beginning of the Bible, is I am blessing you so that you will be a blessing to the entire world. And um, the people of God in the Old Testament never really realized that potential. And instead, they tended to um, do what all human beings do, which is to to kind of close themselves in around what we think makes us special and to look down on those uh, that don't have that. We, uh, we look at our unique strength, the thing that makes us special, the thing that makes us, that we think, you know, is our best, and we look down on those who don't have it. Uh, and this is the history of the human race, the source of our division and our struggle and our war and our conflict, whether in the world or in our families. We prize our strength and we diminish the strength of others and look down on them. Westerners say, um, I mean, it's the most common thing if you grew up in this country to say, I'm just going to follow my heart, right? I'm not going to do something just because it's what my 
family history, you know, what my father did, what my mother did. I'm not going to, I'm going to create my own path. I've got to discover who I am. I've got a dream and I'm going to follow it, right? And there's something in that that's right. But people from more traditional cultures, um, different parts of the world say, well, that, that, that seems incredibly selfish. Um, you know, every decision I make reflects on my family. And so when I make a decision about my future, I've got to take into account my family and my culture and my tradition. And there's something beautiful and good about that, too, isn't there? But we look down on people who are different than us. Democrats say, let's just get it all out there, okay? Democrats say Republicans are rich and selfish and they only care about themselves. And what do Democrats say about Republicans? Well, um, or what do Republicans say that Democrats are socialists and they're out to ruin America, right? I might have said that wrong, don't worry about it. <laughs> you get the point. Because half of you are thinking, well, it's true, isn't it? Yes, there are people whose active agenda is to ruin the country. No. I mean, sure there are, but they're not like running for political office. Um, several years ago when I was in high school, I went to uh, the Philippines on this mission trip, and we spent a week in the Igorot tribe. And the Igorot people, uh, they live at like 5,000 feet elevation in the Philippines, and they, over thousands of years, have built these rice terraces on the side of these cliffs. And um, some people consider the, the, the rice terraces as the eighth wonder of the world. And um, when we were leaving there, we were staying like up on this cliff and um, a plane had flown us in and dropped us up on the edge of this cliff. But it was raining so the plane couldn't pick us up. So we had to walk down this side and across a river and hike, I think it was like 400 miles up the other side. And, um, and uh, we're like high schoolers from Southern California. And we are going down, and everybody's just wiped out. We're at the bottom of this thing. We've got to hike up, I mean, for hours, it's, um, hours and hours, up this mountain. And um, at one point, one of the Filipino men, he, he looks at me, he says, don't you guys hike very much? <laughs> and in my head, I'm thinking, haven't you heard of technology? Like, you can build roads now, right? You know, what are we doing? He's looking at us saying, what's with these white people? They don't even, like... They don't even, they're like not even sweating. They're carrying our stuff. They're literally carrying all of our stuff. We can't even just walk. They're like, what's with these people? And we're thinking, what is with these people, right? But that's what we do. That's what we do. You know, I have to confess that even as I was writing this, um, I was thinking, but I don't really do this. Like, I'm not a, I don't care about race. I don't care about your political views. And then I was listening to somebody and somebody just said one word that like totally punched me in the gut. And the word was Walmart. And I, you know, thank God I'm not a person who shops at a Walmart, right? Thank God I don't care about your race. I don't care about your political views. I don't care, I'm not a judgmental person, but thank God that I'm not a Walmart shopper. Listen, we are insecure people. And it is our our nature as broken people to take whatever our strength is and project the best possible view of our position and the worst possible view of the person that we're opposing, right? We're divided, and the result is the world that we now live in, where there is no end to strife or conflict or division or name-calling. 
And Paul says that Jesus came and he tore down the wall of division. It says that Jesus got hostile on the hostility. On the cross, he reconciles us to God. And in doing so, see what happens if God has reconciled me to himself and he's reconciled you to himself? What happens to the division in between us? Well, God has put that to death as well. Paul says that Jesus on the cross, he put to death, he broke down the wall of hostility. Christ has killed the hostility between me and God and between me and you. Remember who you were. Don't lose the wonder of what God has done for you. But the second thing that you have to do is you have to know who you are. You have to remember who you were, but know who you are now in Christ. Verse 19 says this. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are the family of God. On the cross, Jesus killed the hostility. He brought an end to the division and reconciled us to God. And now he says that he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. You're a stranger, you're an alien, but now you're God's family. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying that that God doesn't just save us as individuals. He doesn't just, he does renew a relationship between me and God, between you and God. But we don't simply remain as individuals. He brings us into a family. He gives us a new family where we love each other, where we care for each other. He brings us into into a family where we are interdependent on one another. We're not just a bag of marbles in the same sack together, but our lives bend around one another's. That's, that's what grace is. In South Africa, when apartheid ended in 1991, many people thought that it would just be a bloodbath. And in many ways it could have been, couldn't it? But who stepped in? It was the church, right? Led by... I mean, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, right? What is that? Archbishop is just a word for a really fancy pastor. A Christian pastor stepped in, and they established the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, where they said, whatever you have done, no matter how awful, no matter how heinous, if you come and you tell the whole story and you confess what you have done, and you don't spare any detail, you will receive amnesty. And so a man named Vanderbach came and he told the account of how he, as a police officer, had murdered a young black man. And he had shot this black man and roasted his body and he called his friends together and they drank beer while his body burned. And then later he went back and found the same man's father. And they didn't do him the favor of shooting him before they set him on fire. And he confessed what he had done. And in the courtroom, you know, he tells the full story of what he had done. And then it came time for that boy's mother to respond. That man's widow. She listened to the whole thing and she said, I have three conditions upon which I will forgive you. 
She said, number one, take me to the site of the murders so that I can gather the dirt there and whatever ashes might remain to give my son and my husband a proper burial. She said, secondly, I'm still a young woman and I have no son anymore, but I still have a lot of maternal love left in me. And so what I require of you, Mr. Vanderbach, is to come to my house twice a month and let me love you and let me serve you and let me cook for you because I still want to be a mother. I have a lot of love to give. And she then said, thirdly, because I believe that Jesus has forgiven me and that he will forgive you if you ask him, I thirdly require you to walk across this courtroom and let me hug you as a tangible expression of forgiveness. And Mr. Vanderbott got up and made it halfway across the courtroom before he fainted. And the whole courtroom started singing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Isn't that a picture? I mean, how is that humanly possible, right? Apart from the work of Christ breaking down the hostility that stands between us and those who were our enemy. That's what grace does. It transforms us. It breaks into our lives. Did you show up this morning to church thinking like, oh, this will be a cute little thing? No, grace is going to change your life. Reconcile you to those you thought you could never have anything to do with that you can't stand. God has reconciled us to himself and gives us the ministry of reconciliation. Remember who you were, Paul says, but not just who you were. You've got to know who you are now. Paul says you have a family. The church is the household of God. Now, what does it mean to be a family? Well, it means a lot, doesn't it? It means that you have a place to belong. It means that you are welcome here. It means that you have a place to be known, that you have a place to struggle, that you have a place to fail and know that when you fail, that you're still loved because you didn't earn your way into the family. It means that you are connected to people, some who are very different than you are, some who are further ahead in the journey than you are who want to help you, some who are behind you in the journey that need your help. It's a blessing to be in the family, and it's also hard work. I mean, it's hard work to be in a family sometimes, isn't it? But being in a family means we stick with it and we work it out and we don't just bail because sometimes it's awkward or uncomfortable. But more than anything else, being in a family means that we have, uh, that we put the needs of others, we put the needs of the family ahead of our own needs. That's what families do, don't we? We look at, we look at who we are, we look at you know, we look, I mean, this is what we do as parents, right? We look at which of our kids is struggling, what do they need? We put their needs ahead of our own. And that's what we do in the family of God. Remember what we said, what is the source of division? What is the source of conflict in our world? It's when we take our strengths and, we, and our preferences and we elevate those above those of anybody else. But in the family of God, we do the opposite. And we take the weakness of others and we elevate that above our own preferences and above our own desires. 
more than anything else, I think that being a family just means showing up regularly. Showing up regularly to, to, to be together. Um, listen, you don't earn your membership in your family because you show up for Christmas dinner, do you? You're in the family and you're invited because you're invited to Christmas dinner because you're in the family, right? Um, you don't earn it, but what does the old song say? It's not Christmas until you're home. Uh, that's what we do. We just show up to be together. You're not in the family because you show up, but being part of the family means showing up and being together and laughing together and crying together and struggling together and being in it together and doing life together. That's what a family does. And the church and the family of God means we put the needs of others ahead of our own preferences. It means we put the good of the family above our personal desires and comforts. It means that the strong um, sacrifice on behalf of the weak. What do you think will push back the violence and division in our family? Will it, will it or in our world? It'll only be as God raises up a group of people that care more about the good of the family than about their own personal preferences and desires. In a, a book called Everyone Here Spoke Sign Language, Nora Gross tells a remarkable story. In, uh, from the 17th century through to the early 20th century, in Martha's Vineyard, because it's a somewhat isolated um, you know, community, uh, hereditary deafness um, grew in this community at an astounding rate to the point where at, at times as much as 25% of the population of Martha's Vineyard was deaf, profoundly deaf. But in contrast to the experience of most deaf people in our own society, the members, the deaf members of the community in Martha's Vineyard uh, did not kind of live as handicapped, isolated, second-class citizens who had to withdraw from the normal life of the community. And in this book, uh, Nora Gross seeks to, seeks to discover why that was the case. And she discovered as she, uh, she researched and interviewed um, that the reason was that everyone spoke sign language in Martha's Vineyard. Now, at first she, said, she thought, well, that means that when someone in the family was deaf, like their whole family learned sign language. She was told, no, everybody learned sign language. Everyone, the deaf and those who could hear everyone on Martha's Vineyard learned sign language. The whole community took it upon themselves to learn sign language so that no deaf person would be disadvantaged. And the result was that the entire community was better off. Children could use sign language to talk in class when their teacher wasn't looking. <laughs> fishermen could communicate to other fishermen using sign language. Neighbors could communicate from great distances to one another because everybody knew sign language. The sick could communicate when they weren't able to speak. And she says, as a result, deafness as a handicap largely disappeared. All the possible irritations and separations between the two groups were gone. The hearing people actually had their ability to communicate enhanced because everybody learned to speak sign language. The whole community was united because they committed themselves to care first for the good of the weakest in their midst. 
that beautiful? What about us? I'm going to say something that's kind of blunt. It might actually only apply to me and my family, but do you realize, I mean, it applies to us all broadly, but do you realize that as we sit in this school in Ladera Ranch this morning worshiping, that we are in the middle of a community that was built to keep people with problems out? Like I said, that might only apply to my family. I don't know if there's others who live in Ladera here, but the reality is, um, what is the rest of our country like? What is the popular possession of a perception of Orange County as a whole? I mean, it's the same thing, right? Um, when we lived in LA, you know, when they used to make those lists of like ten thing, ten things everybody who lives in New York believes, or when I lived in LA, I saw this this list of like ten things you'll never do if you live in LA, and one of them was move behind the orange curtain. Why? Because the perception of people in L.A. is that people who move to Orange County only care about themselves. What do you think God might want to do in the midst of that? Whether you think that that's a fair statement or not, um, it's, an act, it's a perception that people have, right? What do you think God might do to change that? Uh, would it not be God raising up in the middle of a place like Ladera Ranch, a community of people who acts more like a family than a social club. A community of people who commit to showing up together even when it's not the most convenient thing in the world. A community of people who give and who love and who sacrifice. A community of people who don't just come together for their own comfort, but for the good of the family. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if that were to be what happens in our church and in other churches in Orange County. So let me ask you this again. What's your role in the family? Um, some of us, uh, you might be here. You might be a visitor. You might be here for the first time. You might be just checking it out. You might not be sure if you what you believe about any of this Christianity stuff. And if that's you, I'm so glad you're here. And I want you to know that you're welcome. Please feel free to take as much time as you want, kick the tires, ask any blunt question you want. We are so glad that you're here. Some of us, have you noticed that every family has like a wandering uncle that seems to show up when it suits him? Um, I mean, my family does, it's my brother. I hope he hears that someday. (laughs) My my parents are getting my whole, my. Never mind. <laughs> We're all going to Hawaii for my parents' 50th anniversary. My mom sent out the itinerary, and it, and it says literally, like, my brother's going to show up whenever he gets there. Like, all the rest of us have flights, books. He's going to show up when he feels like it. Leaves when he feels like it. Do whatever he feels like participating in. And some of us, that has been our relationship to the family of God. And one of the great things about the family is that, like, there is a place for the creepy uncles that show up whenever they feel like it. <laughs> I don't know, creepy, but wandering. Um, but maybe God is calling the wandering uncles amongst us to actually begin to take on the cares and concerns of the family and to begin to be a person who is reliable and consistent and who uh, gives instead of just taking because 
the reality is this, that the thrill that you and I are searching for when we say I will be a part of this if it serves me, the thrill, the life that we are searching for, we only experience at the cost of our own of sacrifice. Um, the satisfaction that you're searching for always involves sacrifice. The good life that we are searching for always lies on the other side of the cross. And you won't know the blessing of the family until you commit to showing up when it actually costs you something. The life that you're looking for is the life that Jesus bought you. And you will experience the intimacy of knowing God when you commit to being intimate with God's people. God wants more for you. I'm not trying to convince you to show up at church regularly to like get something from you. God's not trying to get anything from you. He's trying to give you more. He's trying to give you more. But you'll never know it unless you try. And others of you are faithful. And you're faithful members of the family. And I just want to say thank you. And God sees you. And he loves you. He calls you his own. In Christ, he lavishes his love upon you. And he could not be more thrilled with you than he already is in Jesus. He is enough. So what's your role? And like, don't be overly literal about like, oh, I think I'm almost, an, it doesn't matter. Like if you're a brother or an uncle or a child, I'm not saying that. But what's your role? We all have a part to play. We all have a part to play. I am not like the father of this expression of the family. I have a part to play, and you have a part to play. And if this is your church, you have a part to play, even if that's just showing up. Can I just say this? I don't know why anybody would want to miss church if they have the option. Um, It's not that you have to come to church. It's that you get to. Every week, God lays a feast in front of us. Why would we wake up on Thanksgiving morning and be like, eh, I'm not hungry today. I'm just going to sleep in. This is what will change our world. This is what being a part of the family looks like, and this is what will change Orange County. Can you imagine a church here in Ladera Ranch where we commit ourselves to regularly showing up and putting the needs of our weakest members ahead of our own preferences, our desires, our needs. Um, I have a player on my soccer team who is, uh, is great. And yesterday, the, the team I coach, and uh, yesterday I think he had scored like four goals already. And I pulled him over to the side and I said, hey buddy, here's the deal. Every one of us knows that you could score five more goals in this game. But you know what would be really great? Would be if you could set your teammates up for greatness. That would be a challenge to you, and it would make them look good, and it would make us look like a team that plays together instead of one kid that we all already know is the best player on the field. That's what greatness looks like. Putting the needs of the collective body ahead of our own desires. Listen, you're not in the family because you go to church. You're in the family because you have been adopted by God. He is our Father, and he welcomes you, not because of anything you've done, but because of what Jesus has done for you. So you don't have to go to church. You don't earn your place in the family because you show up, but you're in the family because God has adopted you. And he invites you to stop living like an orphan who scrounges every morning and says, what am I going to eat? But instead comes 
to the family meal, the family gathering, and feast because God has laid a feast for us and we get to gather together every week. Nothing, I think, could be more countercultural in our time than giving ourselves away for the good of a community, even if it costs us something. Our family, um, we sponsor a, uh, a child who lives in Burkina Faso in, in Africa. And for $38 a month, we sponsor him, and I, I can't even imagine how you, you know, how that helps. But uh, but that's what we do, and our kids write him letters, and he writes us letters, uh, and so that's the background of this. But our kids, our boys, have been um, asking for new socks, okay? And um, they're like, I don't know why they like love pulling their socks up high. They want to, these new stance socks. They're like, and they talk to us like, Mom, Dad, when am I getting new socks? Like, I need these, okay? It's my right. I mean, I don't say that, but that's the, you know. And one of the things we really want to emphasize with our kids, don't look at them, is <laughs> gratitude, right? And it was so precious this last week when we got a bunch of new socks. And my boy says, can we send a pair of socks to send on them? That is a microcosm picture of the church of God at work. God has blessed us, not because we deserve it or we have earned it, but he has blessed us and we get to enjoy it and celebrate it. And then he sends us out in the world to be a blessing to others. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for this incredible message. God, that you would choose us as your children. You would adopt us, and you would call us not your charity cases, um, not this you know, government bureaucratic institution, but the, message, the, the word that you would use to refer to us is family. God, I thank you that none of us is in this alone. And I pray, Father, that you would so um, work the goodness of your grace down into our hearts that we would stop being so concerned about ourselves and our preferences and our needs, that you would cast out the insecurity in each of us by the love of Christ, that you would help us to count it a privilege to be your church. And that God, as we do that, that we would begin to care for one another. That we would begin to show up in each other's lives weekly on Sunday, but throughout the rest of the week too. That this would be a family where we can have hard conversations in love because we're, we're a family and we're not going to turn and run away. God, would you do that in us we can't do it ourselves. No amount of willpower or strategy would do that. But I believe that you can by your grace because Jesus killed the hostility on the cross. And so we pray in his name. Amen. <coughs>